This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. I'm Robert Evans, and this is yet again Behind the Bastards, the podcast where we tell you everything you don't know about the very worst people in all of history. Now, today, we are on part two of our series on the KKK. My guest with me, as with part one, uh, Katie and Cody. Hey. Uh, Hello. uh, The Stuff News How Much Network of? That's the one. (laughs) That's that's the one. Here we are. So, uh, how you guys doing still? Still got a cold. Still good? I'm still doing well. Still happy? (laughs) It's two days after you heard our last episode, but it's just minutes after we recorded the last one. But in those minutes, we've grabbed us a Dorito or three. There are so many Doritos in here, and they are interesting. They're delicious, I mean. How do you guys like the Tapatio ones? It's spicier than I expected, Mm. because that's spicier than Tapatio is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I like it a lot. It's got a real kick, if that's what Mm -hmm. you're looking for. Tapatio is my go-to. Uh, sauce. So sauce? I'm, I'm I like a it. crystals. I grew up with crystals, hot I like sauce. Crystals too. You know who would not have liked Tapatito Doritos? KKK. I was going to say the KKK. Oh, yeah. I was hoping that was a seamless that transition. That was a seamless transition to the KKK. Well, then we should keep I, talking about Tapatito. Yeah. I was <laughs> hoping for another reason to not like the KKK. <laughs> so in part one, we talked about the original clan, which was a terrorist organization that started as a bunch of drunk frat boys pretending to be ghosts and <laughs> turned into a murder gang. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, headed by a former rebel general. Funny how that works. Part two, we're going to talk about the rise of the KKK in the 1920s, which was an order of magnitude larger than it was in the 1860s, and a hell of a lot weirder. Mm. This is not going to go where you think it's going to go. 
This is a weird story. You keep saying that. A hell of a lot weirder. It's hard to imagine. Super excited. Because it's already weird. It's already weird. Our grand magis and our... You know, queen. Well, like, no, yeah, there's no queens. There's, there's no, 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 no queens in the no, KKK. No. <laughs> Imperial Emperor. There are some King Kleagles in this one. Ooh. I don't know what a Kleagle is. I do. It doesn't matter. It has to do with it's a you racist know, eagle. sex in your vagina. <laughs> it's a racist. The Grand, the grand Kegels. <laughs> <laughs> the Grand Kegels came later. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not part of the clan. They did okay, come later. That was a move that I support. Oh. Yeah. All right. <laughs> That was very good, Cody. This Thank is you. that was very witty. Wow, we we're gonna fun. check out for the rest of the episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what? We're, just dial tone for the rest of you guys. Yeah. Got your dose of comedy. <laughs> you guys want to go get a drink? Thanks for stopping <laughs> by. Thanks for stopping by. <laughs> All right, here's the episode. In 1919, a pamphlet started circulating amongst the townships and villages of the American countryside. On its front was a drawing of a clansman on a rearing steed. The title was "The Ku Klux Klan." Yesterday, today, and forever. The flyer's purpose was to announce the glorious rebirth of the KKK. It opened up by defending the first clan. The Ku Klux Klan, the Invisible Empire, was the great idea, that's capitalized, of American Reconstruction. We say American Reconstruction for the reason that all America was affected by Reconstruction influences. It actually says influences. Sure. I guess that's a spelling error. <laughs> what with the racists? Is this the, what the president models his tweets after? Yeah. I was going to say, like, more the capitalizing yeah. the words and, like, getting some words wrong. The South most of all, yes, but nevertheless, all, all is capitalized. Yeah. For the great threat, great threat is capitalized, to the white race that loomed on the horizon of the South would have spread through the entire nation had not the white robe of the Ku Klux Klan kept unrevealed those courageous and devoted hearts that were consecrated to saving the Anglo-Saxon civilization of our country, protecting the homes and well-being of our people, and shielding the virtue of womanhood. The original Ku Klux were not outlaws, all caps, or moral degenerates, all caps, nor did they perpetuate outlawry, which is a great word we don't use enough. Oh, I really, I really, I really like outlawry. outlawry. I, this is the Klan, and they're Terrible, but I really like it. <laughs> we can, we can, we can take satisfying word to say. We can reclaim it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They were men of moral and social standing, and their leaders were men of sterling character and unquestioned culture. Uh-huh. They reverently bowed to the soul of real law, all caps, mm-hmm. and swore to enforce its principles of justice, protection, and the pursuit of happiness. Their strong arm fought valiantly for the preservation of the integrity of the race against the cruelty of base, unjust, and tyrannical legislations and insufferable conditions. No joke, I feel like that's formative literature for a Trump. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. He grew up reading this. He's definitely got some better words in there. I think his dad like, might have. That's a good his, I mean, his dad. It's, there's rumors I, I, that he was in the Klan during this oh, time. Oh, see? I mean, like, this is the kind of... <laughs> they've got drafts of these things, like, laying around the Trump household when he right. was a kid. I love they got the moral degeneracy in there. Really? Wait, I was waiting for that. Yeah, yeah. I was yeah. Like, yeah, get there. Although, I gotta promise, this is not gonna go where you're thinking. Okay. Now, I read a book for this episode, too, The Second Coming of the KKK by Linda Gordon. I, I want to advocate reading both of the books for this podcast because they're both good, but Linda Gordon's book is really special. It is almost unbelievably dense. I've rarely in my life encountered so much information from so many different sources consolidated into a single mm. book of this size. Uh, I'm just kind of in awe of the amount of work she must have put into it and like how like, it, it just, it's really good. We're only using fractions of it for this episode, but it is a, a fantastic book. Okay. So I really recommend giving it a read if you're interested in the history of American radical right-wing extremism. Mm. <clears throat> Now, this book claims that the second KKK's rise was directly inspired by the release of a movie. 
Birth of a Nation in mm-hmm. 1915. <laughs> Birth of a Nation was a fanciful story about the first KKK and how they saved white women from Ray Pappy Friedman. It was the first film ever shown at the White House. Woodrow Wilson fucking loved it, saying, quote, It is like writing history with lightning, and my only regret is that it is all so terribly true. <laughs> Maybe America's worst present, if you're getting this guy's yeah. opinion on it. What with the whole Nazism and... And that thing that he just said? What with a lot of things. William Joseph Simmons, a doctor from Atlanta, a Spanish-American war veteran and minister, was a huge fan of the movie. When he got back from serving garrison duty during the war, he drifted around a number of jobs, showing no aptitude for anything, and joined 15 different fraternal orders. Now, today frats are just something that a chunk of college kids do, but back in the day there was very little going on, and most men were in a fraternal order of some type. Many were in multiple. It was an extremely popular way to have something to do and feel like part of a community. So community is important. Very Mm -hmm. important. Simmons was desperate for a community, but none of the groups he joined fit the bill. He was a fan of Birth of a Nation, and he'd been inspired by the lynching of Leo Frank, a Jewish man falsely accused of rape and murder. None of them fit the bill. They weren't quite evil (laughs) enough. Inspired by the lynching of is not (laughs) really a bad term. Boy, that lynching really inspired me. Uh, He's like, what what about what about it? What a... mm-hmm. Simmons started reading about the original Klan. He bought a copy of the original KKK prescript, mixed in a little bit of Masonism, and tried to start up his own fraternal order, essentially cosplaying as the Ku Klux Klan. Simmons's KKK was just as racist as the original, but was also differently bigoted. It ranted against, quote, the hairy claw of Bolshevism, socialism, yes. syndicalism, IWWism, and other isms. Mm-hmm. IWW is the International Workers of the World, a very influential yeah. group of unions. Yeah. Uh, he believed that these forces were, quote, seeking in an insidious but very powerful manner to undermine the very fundamentals of the nation. Mm-hmm. First letter of nations capitalized. Oh, yeah. We're getting into the you're good getting stuff. getting into yeah, this, yeah, huh, Cody? Yeah, yeah. 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 I knew this was going to be right into the vein for you. <laughs> so when the KKK had last ridden, socialism had not really been a buzzword in America. Marx and Engels had only published the Communist Manifesto in like 1848, and shit traveled slowly back then. Social democratic parties were starting to become a thing in Europe by the late 1860s, but most of the U.S. was off doing its own thing. The assassination of William McKinley by a Polish-American anarchist in 1901 really helped to pour gas on that whole fire. Simmons started advertising for KKK2, this time it's Clanier, <laughs> in 1915. He descri- fully reloaded. Yeah, fully reloaded. <laughs> or Electric Boogaloo. You know, you pick your sure, own. Sure. You pick your own sequel title. KKK Harder. You know, whatever. There's, there's <laughs> options. In his promotional materials, he described it as, quote, a classy order of the highest class, capitalized. No <laughs> classy order of the highest class? Man. No can... roughnecks, rowdies, nor yellow streaks. Real men whose oaths are inviolate are needed. His oaths are inviolate? Inviolate. Inviolate. Yeah, they, they're not going to break their oaths. Their oh, oath like, is their bond. Classy man of higher class. Very good class. We've Very got classy. nothing but class. Classiest men. <laughs> Uh, it was not exactly an instant hit. Only a few dozen people signed up at first. Simmons went out of his way to find a few very old former Klansmen to join. He proclaimed himself the Imperial Wizard of the Knights of the Ku Klux Klan and started holding meetings. Now, unlike the original Klan, they didn't start off doing anything out in the world. This was just a place where grown men went to engage in weird-ass quasi-magical rituals with other masked men. It was LARPing. Mm-hmm. LARPing as the KKK, yeah. who were themselves Man, LARPers. getting really deep in here. It's getting really... Very meta. Yeah. Circle, circle. Circle, circle. Circles inside of circles. Exactly. 
Now, in order to codify some of these rituals and establish standards for his new organization, Simmons published the KKK's holy book in 1915. You guys want to guess what it was called? The uh, Clanonomicon, the the, uh, Tome of the the Martian Demon. Clanoronomy. Hobgoblin. What, What is it? The Chloran. The Chloran. Oh, Mine was closer. <laughs> you liar. That's real. That's so bad. It's amazing. Oh. You can find the whole Chloran online. It's it's beyond uh, parody. Yeah, I know it is beyond parody. <laughs> yeah. Everything about this episode is beyond parody. Uh. I'm just I can't tell you how excited I am. Yeah, just... <laughs> Literally jumping out of his seat as he said that. Oh. Now, yeah, again, you can read it for yourself if you decide that is an experience that will spark joy in your life. It is online. I'll put the link in the thing. It's all there. <clears throat> now, the Cloran promises education in character, spelled with a K and no H, honor and duty. Not spelling, though. Not, <laughs> definitely not spelling. Spurling. Never been one of the KKK's strong points. To give you some info on the organization's founding principles, I would like to read y'all the Ku Klux Creed. Creed. Oh, is it spelled with a K? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, of course yeah, it's it spelled with a fucking K. <laughs> <laughs> We, the Order of the Knights of the Ku Klux Klan, reverentially acknowledge the majesty and supremacy of the divine being and recognize the goodness and providence of the same. We recognize our relation to the government of the United States of America, the supremacy of its constitution, the union of states thereunder, and the constitutional laws thereof, and we shall ever be ever devoted to the sublime principles of a pure Americanism and valiant to the defense of its ideals and institutions. We avow the distinction between the races of mankind, as same has been decreed by the Creator, and we shall ever be true to the faithful maintenance of white supremacy and will strenuously oppose any compromise thereof in any and all things. Decreed by the creator. Decreed by the creator. Citation needed. (laughs) One of the things that is pointed out in the fantastic Linda Gordon book, The Second Coming of the KKK, is that this was not radical at the time. The KKK was speaking very much to the majority of white Americans. Mm. And that is very important for everything that comes next. The ideology of this group is not fringe in any way, shape, or form. They are preaching to the choir. They are not radicalizing people. And that's critical. No one's getting radicalized here. Everyone's a white supremacist? Well, I'm going to start a white supremacy group. Yeah. 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 Now, about two-thirds of the Cloran is made up of incredibly dense, utterly preposterous ceremonies. I'm going to read a quick and random excerpt from the clan's naturalization ritual, a.k.a. their induction of new members, so you can have an understanding of the special tenor of this nigh-unreadable tome. Cody, you look so excited. I'm ready. I'm going to read all the titles. <laughs> so, starting off, we have the clad speaking. With a K? With a yeah. K. Yeah, yeah. K-L-A-D-D. Worthy aliens from the world of selfishness and fraternal alienation, prompted by unselfish motive, desire the honor of citizenship in the invisible empire and the fellowship of clansmen. To which the Clexter responds, Has your party been selected with care? To which the Clad responds, These men are known or vouched for by clansmen in clonclave assembled. No, <laughs> Two K's in clonclave? What are you doing to me? <laughs> the Clexter responds, Have they the marks? The clad, 
asks, or says, the distinguishing marks of a clansman are not found in the fiber of his garments or his social or financial standing, but are spiritual, namely a chivalric head, a compassionate heart, a prudent tongue, and a courageous will, all devoted to our country, our clan, our homes, and each other. These are the distinguishing marks of a clansman. Oh, faithful Clexter! And these men (laughs) claim the marks. The Clexter next says, What if one of your party should prove himself a traitor? To which the clad says, He would be immediately banished and disgraced from the invisible empire without fear or favor. Conscience would tenaciously torment him. Remorse would repeatedly revile him. And direful things would befall him. The Clexter asks, Do they know all this? The clad says, All this they now know. They have heard and they must heed. Clexter says, Faithful clad, you speak the truth. (laughs) Gonna be be a lot of Ks. Gonna be a lot of Ks going on. Bunch of dorks. God. <laughs> bunch of bunch of real dorks. It's not even that racist. Like there's a little bit about white supremacy in there, but yeah, it's yeah. bare it's mostly just really dense nonsense rituals. Yeah. Like And then you sprinkle in the you sprinkle a little yeah, bit dash little of racism bit, here and there, bit. like just, you do with what? cilantro. Yeah, just yeah. to get him salivating a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Like... Now, the first two thirds or so of the Cloran are made up of frustrating, stupid rituals. How you open and close meetings, etc. <laughs> then at the end of the book, Simmons wrote a lecture. It reads like a particularly bad D&D source book written by a racist. Here's him describing the South prior to the rise of the first clan. Ignorance, lust, and hate, all capitalized, seize the reins of the state, capitalized, and riot, rapine, and universal ruin reigned supreme. The highest form of cultured society was thrust down and its noble neck was forced under the iron heel of pernicious passion, who yielded a potent scepter of inquisitorial oppression, and the very blood of the Caucasian race was seriously threatened with everlasting contamination. I would have been a, would have been a pretty good clan leader back in the yeah, day. Yeah, you really would have. Really, I got that voice down. I know it. Don't don't explore that too much. No, yeah, you're right. But you're right. Path, <laughs> Spoiler alert, but we're about to get to an Evans. Oh. Yeah, oh. Really prominently here. Yeah. An important thing to realize about the 1920s clan is that while they were racist, they were first and foremost a social order. Their meetings probably weren't any more racist than the average Masonic meeting at the time. We have minutes from a lot of individual clavern meetings. Individual groups are called a clavern. Mm-hmm. Uh, and many of them never... Because they were so cool. Because they were so cool. <laughs> Linda Gordon points out that many of them never even brought up racial subjects other than in, like, passing. So the second clan was racist, but not more racist than mainstream society. It didn't stand out. Now, Simmons ran the clan for five years, and as with every other endeavor in his life, he was bad at it. During his reign, the group had only one public outing, a march at a veterans parade that included 20 black men he paid to put on robes in order to pad out his numbers. Wow. <laughs> it's like, whatever you do, do not take this do off. Do not take this oh, off. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Yeah. But it's a point, like, it's not, the racism isn't the focus, because he's clearly like, well, I just want us to look big. Right, right. Yeah. I want my club to be cool. I yeah. want everyone to show up to my cool club. That's yeah. very cool. <laughs> very cool. So he did make enough money to buy Baptist Lanier University in Atlanta because it was heavily in debt, and he tried to turn it into a whites-only university for racists. 25 <laughs> people enrolled, and it went bankrupt. So Simmons was forced to go looking for help. Fraud universities, huh? Fraud universities. <laughs> so Simmons, he's going bankrupt. The KKK is in severe debt. He's got to go find help, and he found it when he met two veterans of the fairly new PR industry, Elizabeth Tyler and Edward Young Clark. They ran a publicity agency that had already helped the Anti-Saloon League on its rise to prominence. Clark's dad had been a Confederate colonel and owned the Atlanta Constitution, an influential newspaper. Elizabeth was his wife. She'd grown up poor and married at 15. And if you ignore the whole helping to found the KKK of it all, she's a pretty inspiring feminist story. That's hard to ignore that other part. (laughs) It's really hard to ignore the Klan part. Here's the second coming of the KKK. 
quote, The team saw a lucrative client in Simmons' new clan group. The minute we said Ku Klux, Tyler recalled, editors from all over the United States began literally pressing us for publicity. By 1920, she and Clark had convinced Simmons that they could grow his new clan, that it had national potential. To realize that potential, it had to multiply its bigotry. The alleged threat from black people would not reverberate among Northerners at a time when so few African Americans lived outside the Southeast. So Simmons hired them, signing a contract that gave Clark and Tyler an astonishing 80% of any revenue they brought in from new recruits. Since Simmons had got nowhere with his new organization, he undoubtedly thought that he had nothing to lose in giving them four-fifths of anything they could bring in. Tyler and Clark became, in practice, head of the Klan for two years. Now, they turned Simmons into a polished speaker. Engendering and exploiting fear, he would warn that degenerative forces were destroying the American way of life. These were not only black people, but also Jews, Catholics, mm-hmm. and immigrants, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. big city dwellers who were tempting Americans with immoral pleasures, mm-hmm. sex, alcohol, and music, mm-hmm. notably jazz. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting <clears throat> choice of music there. Mm-hmm. You got yeah. going. Interesting <laughs> choice of music. We're almost to the big reveal. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Very excited. Like the original Klan, the second KKK used newspapers to stoke the buzz around their organization. Simmons would give exclusive interviews where he came across as super suave and cool, and the Klan's membership would grow. Newspapers ran advertisements that included KKK application forms. Press releases ran like rain on front pages of the nation. By the summer of 1921, the new KKK reported a membership of 850,000. Now, this is almost certainly an exaggeration, but the real number was surely in the hundreds of thousands. Incredible growth over roughly a year of PR blitzes. And this is where it gets fun. The story sort of splits. One half is the tale of the various assaults and murders and attempted political coups by Klansmen over the next several years. And the other story, the bigger story, is the tale of the Klan's true purpose. It was an MLM a multi-level marketing scheme. Oh, it was, was a it pyramid really? scheme. Yes. The KKK, the second yeah. KKK was a motherfucking yeah. pyramid what? scheme. What? This is a twist. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited. Oh, I love it. I was waiting for you to, <clears throat> to re- literally read a headline so like yeah. the dapper KKK. <laughs> <laughs> you know? like, There's a shitload of those. I'll bet. Yeah. Now, uh, we're going to talk about how the Klan became a pyramid scheme. But first, we're going to talk about some things that are legitimate products and services. The products and services that advertise on this show and or content platform. Mm. I did it by Doritos. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed, cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet... Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. 
Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. We're back! We just had a handful of Tapatio Doritos, which are spicing our way through this tale of racism and uh, profiting off of racism. Ooh-wee. So. Grifting racists? What? Grifting racists? Excuse me. MLMs in the far right? I am appalled. I mean. And surprised. And I'm going to leave right now because I'm (laughs) so surprised. (laughs) I've had a great Harvard paper called Hatred and Profits Under the Hood of the Ku Klux Klan. I'm going to quote from that now. Great. The organizational structure of the Ku Klux Klan in the 1920s, designed by the Propagation Department, was a hybrid that combined features of other fraternal orders with a multi-level marketing firm, with two distinct sets of reporting hierarchies that operated more or less independently. 
One hierarchy was made up of the clan's members, from the lowliest rank and file to the highest leadership. This hierarchy corresponds to the social club aspect of the clan, the arm that intimidated blacks and foreigners and attempted to influence political outcomes. In addition, however, there was a nearly invisible parallel hierarchy of clan recruiters, organized like a modern multi-level marketing firm, which represents the financial arm of the clan. This highly incentivized sales force was responsible for recruiting new members to the clan, and almost all of the financial rewards accrued to either the handful of top leaders or the individuals in this auxiliary hierarchy. It was a money-making scheme made up by PR hacks. This is fascinating. Yeah, it's fucking wild, right? I'm, I'm, I have so many emotions <laughs> and some of them conflict with each other uh this is amazing it's a great scam yeah it's an objectively it's, great scam uh effect an effective scam yeah um take note clark and tyler the pr agents who made the kkk great again brought in more than eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars in their first 15 months that is roughly 10 million dollars in crazy. modern money in slightly over a year now, Simmons got a much smaller cut of this, but he still got rich. They even gave him a twenty-five grand bonus, which was like $300,000 in modern him. money. Good for him. He really put in the yeah. work. It was like six years, you know? He signed the paper. He signed the paper. <clears throat> now, this money came from a variety of places, which I will get to in a second, but it's important to know that Simmons, Clark, and Tyler were all pushed out by like 1922. Simmons was bought out, and another new guy named Hiram Evans was made the Imperial Wizard. He'd been hired as a recruiter initially, but once he was the Imperial Wizard, he was able to fire Clark and Tyler, which he did. So, so the people responsible for actually getting the second KKK off the ground weren't around for most of what happens mm -hmm. next, but they set all of this into motion mm -hmm. and they got rich off of it. The KKK would have died with Simmons indebted and disgraced, but that is distinctly not what happened. These two PR wunderkinds had created an incredible profit-making model, one that would act as a cash spigot for a bunch of greedy racists and con millions of Americans in the process. So, tale as old as time. Tale as old as time. First off, here's how the clan was organized. This is from that Harvard paper. Quote The Grand Wizard, or Emperor, served as the nominal chair of the body, with the Imperial Wizard acting as the chief executive and aided by a 15 member Imperial Clonsilium. <laughs> These included the Clalif. First vice president, oh, come on. the classic second vice president, the the cloakard lecturer, the clud chaplain, the cligrap secretary, the clayby treasurer, the clad clayby, <laughs> the clad conductor, the clarago a tin man inner guard, the clexter the outer guard, the clonsel general counsel, the nighthawk courier, and the four cloaken, auditors. These individuals were responsible for keeping the clan's books, providing in-house legal advice, and serving as a clan cabinet. Did you like absolute bananas? <laughs> plug racism into like a random letter generator yes. and just like what? <laughs> Some of those aren't even based off of real words. Yeah, what is a cligrap? What's a cligrap? What the like Clalif, okay. Like you yeah, clearly you got a muscle thing right, going on right. with, the, with the chloran. What the fuck is a clud? <laughs> or the I'm still stuck on the clayby. The clayby. Um, I'm also ashamed to share an initial with this. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. K has yeah. been ruined for me. Yeah. You only got one K though. You only got True. one K. If you were the KKK, you'd have like a shitload of Ks. Right. Clady. Absolutely. Clady. Clady Cole. Clady Cole. Yeah. No, and that's uh, still, 
Still one shy. And I don't even want to go down that <laughs> no, path no, anymore. We, we, Back to enough. the story. <laughs> the clan's worldwide operations were split up into several realms, one for each state, each sure. run by a grand dragon. Why did they the... call them states? <laughs> Why did <laughs> they call them states? I don't know, man. At the bottom of the organization were the ghouls, organized into claverns, which were headed by exalted <laughs> cyclopses. Oh, this is not. This like... is not. Did you say exalted cyclops? Those are the ghouls. Exalted cyclops. The exalted cyclops That's... heads a clavern. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They, a clavern. It's like, they, like, okay, they so know, ghouls... like, like gnomes. Like, so, like, why would you just like say you were ghouls? We're ghouls. We're we're ghouls. We're the ghouls. We're ghouls. A ghoul. A ghouls make up a clavern. Ghouls. Ghouls make up a clavern. They're the rank and clavern. file of the clansmen. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. And they're headed by a uh, a, a grand, grand cyclops. Grand cyclops. Right? Yeah. This is absolutely more than I ever wanted to know. I, exalted cyclops. <laughs> yeah, sorry. these are like <laughs> gotta get that right. Two of these things I'm never gonna forget. Yeah, yeah. and I'm not happy about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's stuck there forever now. Yeah, if you think about the KKK as a political or militant organization. Outside of the silly names, this structure makes sense. But once you understand the financial dimensions, well, it becomes very clearly a pyramid scheme. Quote, clan members generated an enormous amount of revenue. Each ghoul paid a $10 initiation <laughs> fee, equivalent to $110 in $2011. Six fifty to buy an official clan robe, which cost roughly $2 to make, an annual membership <laughs> fee of $5, an imperial tax of $1.80, and clansmen were also encouraged to purchase other clan-sanctioned merchandise, including swords, Bibles, helmets, dry cleaning, and life insurance. Joining the clan was not a cheap <laughs> undertaking. Using the numbers above, the first year of membership cost $23.30, roughly $250 in 2011 dollars and subsequent years were six dollars and 80 cents approximately 75 dollars in 2011 dollars at its peak in 1924 the clan conservatively generated annual revenue from all sources of at least 25 million equivalent to 300 million in current dollars only a small portion of this revenue was required to fund basic operations it was a fucking pyramid scheme yeah Yeah. Yeah, it was it was a it was a racist pyramid scheme (laughs) and i'm sorry the dry cleaning was that for the ropes for the ropes yeah okay you got to keep those white ropes clean yeah yeah, you ever worn a white Robe, quick, Katie. It's gonna. I haven't. You know, I dusty. really haven't ever worn a white. robe. I can make some assumptions about it, though. Yeah, about the problems that come from wearing yeah. a white robe. You drink yeah. a coffee people. once. It, it you drink shows... coffee once. You like bloody up somebody. It once. shows everything. It shows everything. It shows everything. Especially racism. Did, were the swords like branded? Or did it, it was like. Yeah. Yeah, they were yeah, br- of course they were, they were branded yeah. swords, yes, Cody. Sorry, what, <laughs> sorry what, a, what a foolish question. I apologize. This economic growth was possible thanks to an enormous sales force, started in 1921 by our PR friends and soon over a thousand people strong. Each Grand Dragon, the state clan heads, got two fifty out of each $10 membership fee. Members also paid a $1 yearly tax, which went to the Grand Dragon. $0.50 cents of every $6.50 clan robe went to him as well. So the Grand Dragons make bank, and so do the sales force. The U.S. is split into nine domains, with a goblin in charge of recruitment <laughs> for each. The goblin hires a King Kleagle, who hires a bunch of Kleagles, the regular grunt sales force of the Endeavor. They made $4 off of each membership. The remaining three fifty was sent up the recruiting structure with the person in charge of sales in the state, the King Kleagle, getting a dollar. The regional sales overseer, a great goblin, got fifty cents. The national sales overseer, an Imperial Kleagle, got a dollar twenty-five. And the two most powerful men in the clan, the Imperial Wizard and the Grand Wizard, split seventy-five cents. But they were doing that for the whole country. Kleagles were paid for recruiting new members, and once someone joined, none of the ongoing revenues went to the sales force. So 
For the big cheeses, the ongoing revenue is where it's at. So the sales force gets a cut of the initial whenever you recruit someone, and then the big cheeses get anything else that they buy. So the Invisible Empire sold robes, flags, dry cleaning services, candy, every kind of thing imaginable. I'm going to quote again from the second coming of the Ku Klux Klan. Quote, a Kluxer's nifty knife, every word in that is spelled with a K, which was described as a, quote, real 100% knife for 100% Americans. Wow. <laughs> could be bought for $1.25. A member could buy a brooch for his wife, a zircon-studded fiery cross. A larger cross that a man could wear on the watch chain he displayed across his chest cost two ninety. For only $5, you could get, allegedly, a 14-carat gold-filled ring with a 10-carat solid gold clan emblem on a fiery red stone. Wow. Also for sale were phonographs records and player piano rolls with clan songs. Advertisements for this merchandise appeared in newspapers across the country and in flyers at large clonvocations. <sighs> the clan's for-profit life insurance plan claimed $3 million worth of policies in 1924. A dubious figure. It claimed to provide burial insurance as well, but the service never actually materialized because it was a scam. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Now, the KKK also offered a spectacular vacation getaway. I found an ad from sometime in the night. And that's not a night- It's Well, just you wait. I'm okay. going to hand you the ad, Katie, and you can describe it to the readers. Now, it's from sometime in the 20s. Duke University, which is where I found this hosted, didn't know exactly when. And it talks about, you know what? I'm just going to describe this ad, Katie. All right. <laughs> To all the clans and clansmen of Texas, and then there's like a little image that says, Cool Coast Camp, the healthiest road to the coolest summer. Are all those words spelled with a K in Cool Coast Camp? Every Yes, every single one that you could imagine. And the coolest summer. Cool Coast Camp, the healthiest road to the coolest summer. Do you uh-huh. want me to read some of this thing? Yeah, you can do a little bit of that ad copy while I... Greetings! We, the Grand Dragons of the Realm of Texas and the Great Titans of the Five Provinces in Texas, Knights of the Ku Klux Klan, hereby officially endorse the annexed proposition of Klansman C.T. Gilliam of San... This is... An the announcement. Realm of Texas. The Realm of Texas. Really into that. He proposes to give a high-class service to the Klansmen of Texas at a minimum cost. Yeah, right. It goes on. It goes I, want, back I, want, to you. I want a knife that says 100% knife. <laughs> well, what, you know, and like one of my favorite things I've ever have, heard. You have to guard against it being like part fork. You don't know. You don't, you don't ever know. know. You don't if know. If it doesn't no. have that you certification. What, you don't know what it's cut uh, with. The clan no, would have hated Swiss Army knives. <laughs> They, yes. they would have hated a Swiss Army knife. Because Swiss Army knife, that's like it's race like, mixing for tools. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. They're going to be a threat to knife civilization. <laughs> now, the Cool Coast Camp ad is a really fun document to read. For one thing, it brags repeatedly and pointedly about how much shade their beaches have. Because <laughs> everybody's really white. And they can't oh, stand oh the sun. Guess what it recommends as the most sensible thing to wear? A cheap. A big Mexican sombrero. Oh, my God. <laughs> What? Is that the, like, those are the exact yeah, words? those are the exact a words. Big Mexican a big sombrero. Mexican sombrero. Wow. Oh. oh. There is no shortage of bigotry in the ad, but it is kind of the classic, wholesome, mainstream 1920s American bigotry, yeah. as opposed to what we would expect from the Klan today. I'm going to read, for example, a section titled The Family, that's sort of advertising this camp to mm. the rest of the family. Wonderful mothers... 
This camp, spelled with a K, is deeded to you. So cool, so restful. No work whatsoever. No drudgery. No worry. The fiery cross guards you at nights, and an officer of the law, with the same Christian sentiment, guards carefully all portals. Beautiful daughter. A beautiful camp needs beautiful ornaments. No (gasps) dust to avoid. (laughs) Shades natural and shades artificial to keep away the freckles. Cool, with a K. In every way. The time of your life, in all caps. Put a bug in daddy's ear and hug him tight. He will let you come. The sentiment reflected through humanity by the rays of the fiery cross makes you as safe at our camp as at home in mother's arms. Mother's Arms is capitalized, too. The prize of a concrete Lizzie. No idea what what that is. I have no idea. Is it okay? I bet someone out there listening No, the only thing with a C that's spelled with a C. I'm so disappointed. I don't know what the fuck a concrete Lizzie is, but it's... Concrete Lizzie? That was the prize given to any person who could find a more wonderful spot in America. That... Is this a sex thing? I, yeah, yes. <laughs> yes, Cody. It, it's a fucking thing. <laughs> they were all fuck guys in the KKK. Wow. A concrete Lizzie. Oh, a concrete Lizzie in, the, in this day and age. Oh, no. All right. Yeah. Well. <laughs> cool at coast. A, at a low cool cost. Coast. At a, an affordable cost. At a low you know, affordable all of cost. This. Yeah. It's affordable cost because Texas is coast is kind of shitty. Mm. The realm of Texas. <laughs> the realm of Texas does not have a nice coast. Texas. Speaking as a Texan, mm. don't go to Galveston. All right. That wasn't a concern. Yeah, <laughs> good, good. <laughs> the KKK recognized that children represented an incredible potential market so far untapped by the powers of commercial racism. They opened three auxiliary groups for children. The junior KKK, starting in 1923, was literally just a child's version of the KKK. One new junior KKK chapter announced its opening by blowing a horn and lighting a cross and the letter J on fire. Wow. For junior. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no. For young girls, there was the Tri-K Club. Club is spelled with a K. Modeled after popular sororities at the time. Now, there was plenty of racism in the Tri-K. Historian Christina Durocher described the central message of their propaganda as, quote, White girls should remove themselves from contact with all blacks, a passive way of preserving white supremacy. But the Tri-K Club was first and foremost a social club. I found an illustrated collection of the KKK's sheet music on Google Books because internet, and it included the ritual of the Tri-K Club, which seems like it was probably patterned off the Cloran. It includes a pledge song of this racism sorority. I'm going to read just the first verse, which is all I could find. We pledge to you our friendship true through happiness and tears. The tie that binds our hearts to you will hold throughout the years. Beneath this flag that waves above, this cross that lights our way, you'll always find a sister's love in the heart of each trike. Oh. I'm. I got no. This is this is good for Make girls. Make new friends, but keep the old. Yeah, yeah. Burning cross is a little weird. Yeah, <laughs> it was just a bright. Um, it's a bright cross. It's a bright cross. You shouldn't say burning. They yeah, burning. Yeah. You don't know how why it's lit up. It's just illuminated in flame. <laughs> yeah. It's weird how prescient you saying that is about to be. Now, Hiram <laughs> Evans, who ousted the PR people at the end of 1922 and became the next Imperial Wizard, still wanted to make money. But he was also someone for whom straight up racism was a huge part of the appeal. Mm. Here's the second coming of the KKK. His first career as a dentist might seem modest. One of his rivals liked to call him a tooth puller, and he took advantage of the impression, calling himself the most average man in America, so as to normalize the clan. His short, plump stature added to his everyman image. In fact, he was capable of serious violence. In Dallas, where he joined the clan in 1920, he had organized black squads that kidnapped and tortured at least one black man. Dallas, by the way, used to be known as the most racist city in America around this time, mm-hmm. the city of hate. And it was actually a really cool story. The Dallas Morning News 
crippled the Klan in that city by like having reporters find where their meetings were and take down notes of all of the license plates they saw to like figure oh. out which elected members and who was in the Klan mm-hmm. and like published that shit. Like the That's Dallas really Morning cool. News yeah. did a lot of damage to the KKK. Yeah, so. Thanks. Docs yeah, the, yeah. the fucking yeah. fascists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Did a great job. So yeah, Dallas Morning News is Antifa, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> now, Evans decided that the Klan should be more than an MLM. It should be a political party. He moved the KKK's headquarters to D.C. and established a magazine, Fellowship Forum, that was not explicitly tied to the KKK, but existed to further its political aims. The Fellowship Forum built itself as standing for pure Americanism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there were also, in a number of the documents I read, the sentiment America First, which I apparently mm-hmm. came from the KKK before it became the center of Charles Lindbergh's organization. Yeah. You found that in a lot of their documents. Not there was also They just recently come out that there was talk about a wall at one of the big vacations sure. they held, like a guy talking about, we need a silver wall to keep out immigrants. Mm-hmm. But he was not talking about one at the Mexican border. He was talking about a wall of laws to stop people from, like, Italy from oh. getting into the country. <laughs> <laughs> they really hated Catholics. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so racist, but different. different. Yeah, a little different. differently racist yeah, yeah, from yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Fundamental concept. Some same fundamental. Just like concept. list it, dress yeah. it up a little differently, mm-hmm. put it over they there. They wanted the some... Mexicans because they need those sombreros. That's right. <laughs> no, they wanted exactly. the sombreros. They wanted Mexican sombreros, sombreros to stay in the shade when you go to the cool coast. <laughs> cool coast camp. <laughs> oh, good God. <laughs> Soon after taking charge, Evans realized that the leader of the Indiana KKK, David Stevenson, had some potential. He put him in charge of recruitment for seven states. Here's that book again. I'm a nobody from nowhere, really, but I've got the biggest brains, he boasted. I'm going to be the biggest man in the United States. But Stevenson was a fraud several times over. He claimed to be the millionaire son of a wealthy businessman and to have earned a decoration for bravery in World War I. In fact, he was the son of a Texas sharecropper. His education at a parochial school ended with the eighth grade, and his stint with the Army was as a recruiter in Iowa. He boasted of owning a wholesale coal supply and auto accessory companies, but in fact, worked as a salesman for someone else's coal company. He married at least three women, drank heavily, got into fights, beat his wives, and attempted to rape several other women. But the motherfucker could talk and convince people to join the KKK. Mm. So he stayed. Under his leadership, 23% of the native-born white men in southern Indiana joined the KKK. Wow. He refused to be called by his name, going by the old man. Stevenson made millions off of his racist downline and was able to buy a mansion and a yacht. We'll come back to him later. He does get his just desserts. Well, so he wasn't sorta. comfortable uh, with all the, the lofty titles. Just call me the old man. Call me the old yeah. man. The Straight old shooter. racist yeah. man. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to be the biggest man in America. <laughs> yeah. For a good long while, in the early 1920s, the Ku Klux Klan was everywhere. At its height, as many as 4 million Americans, roughly 4% of the country, were members. It is, to this day, the largest explicitly racist organization in American history, if you don't count the Confederacy. Yeah. 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 4 million. Now, the Klan did not draw in that many members by focusing on the racism up front. It was always there, a calm backdraft in their propaganda, and at every outing. But they knew you'd catch more flies with honey than with water. Enter... The Klon Vacations. These were gigantic outdoor events akin to massive state fairs or even carnivals, which they held in order to draw in new members and foster solidarity with clans members. Here's how the nation described one such gathering. 
On July 4th, 1923, for instance, a crowd estimated at between 50,000 and 200,000 attended a Klan picnic in Kokomo, Indiana. The Klan vacation boasted six tons of beef, 55,000 buns, 2,500 pies, and 5,000 cases of soda. Children had their own play center, while adults could take their pick of entertainments, including a boys' singing quartet, a talkie film, circus performers, a six-round boxing match, and a daredevil who performed aerial acrobatics on the wing of a circling plane. All right. Yeah. All right. That sounds okay. like a good sounds party. like a good time. And that was the idea. We hold this not like we're gonna try to get all the racists, but like we'll just hold up, throw a big party right. for white people, right. and then maybe they'll want to join the right. clan, and then we'll get more money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A thousand burgers. They also charged admission and stuff. They made a profit, of course. Yeah. Right. Maybe like fifteen, twenty grand, which you know, nineteen twenty-three dollars is a shitload. Of yeah, money. they cleaned up. And yeah. the biggest of these was in, in twenty-four had like two hundred thousand people show up. The largest clan gathering. Ever and like a lot of people didn't know it was necessarily like oh this is like for the clan stuff it's like no I'm gonna go to a fun they party it was with white for people the clan. Or yeah. white but it was people, like though. it was right. like it's the clan it's yeah, you know, they, yeah. They, it wasn't weird then like that people met and fell in love there I bet they did that a lot of a lot of clan babies a lot of clonvocation yep. kitties yeah. wasn't there a recent poll like about like the number of people in America who like are okay with white supremacy and neo Nazis and stuff and it was about four percent something like that I think yeah that's about when? right. Uh, like recently, like last year. There's wow. A, yeah. Which is a lot of racists. I mean, like a lot. in fucking Toronto, 23,000 people voted for Faith Goldie, an explicitly yeah. neo-Nazi candidate. 23,000 yeah. Canadians. Mm. Yep. So, and they're Canadians. So things are going well. Things are going great. I just want like a fun barbecue to go to. So... It's With thousands of buns. <laughs> thousands of... Speaking of thousands of buns... Ads... When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed, cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time, and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure... It kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. We're back. We're talking about clonvocations, the KKK's primary method of recruiting new Klansmen. I hate these words. I <laughs> I do there's too. way too many K's being set up yeah. in here. I slightly cringe every time. Cringe with a K? Yeah. Clinge. Absolutely. Cloringe. Large cross burnings were also held at clonvocations. But unlike yes. the first uh, and latter types of cross burnings that we're familiar with today, these were not primarily hateful spectacles. So like a cross mm. burning is like the most racist thing you can do. These were not like they were pro-Protestant and everyone knew the Klan was anti-Catholic. But the cross burnings were more like a fireworks show. Like they would they would compete to see who could build the biggest like cross some of which were like 50 feet tall some of which were too big to even burn they would like fuck up sometimes mm. they would make gigantic crosses and cover them with light bulbs like it was like a look at this cool thing that we're doing yeah like monster right. truck burning man it's like burning yeah. man thank you a That's little yeah. bit of that because they weren't like going to like black people's houses and putting them on their lawns like I'm that may have happened out in the sticks sometimes but like yeah. the main purpose was to like entertain people right that was the right. goal of the cross things um so, in yeah. this context. In at, this context. At a clonvocation. At a clonvocation. But when you're out in the wild, 
much more and it was insidious. usually we, we will be getting to that i will be talking okay. about the violence and stuff but i from what i read cross burnings were not a huge part of the violence at okay. that point like that was more of like a showy thing that you did mm-hmm. at the big events and the violence was the violence the clan did describe themselves as the army of the cross and i do want to really point out how much anti-catholic bias was critical to this too because mm. they were super racist against catholics as well as black people and jews and I guess you're not racist against right. socialists, but they didn't like socialists right. either. Anybody right. that wasn't like, yeah. That the, wasn't a very specific kind uh, of card-carrying member of the very legitimate organization. <laughs> the Ku Klux Klan. Yeah. yeah. The Klansmen also played highly publicized baseball games, often Ooh. against teams of people that they defined in their propaganda as aliens. The second coming of the KKK notes, quote, the Youngstown Klan team challenged the Knights of Columbus and the Klan played Wichita's crack-colored team, the Monrovians. The Klan lost. Finally, in areas of clan strength, it operated sandlot teams that played in recognized leagues, sometimes semi-pro teams. Indiana, a clan stronghold, fielded a dozen such teams. These leagues might play in stadiums, and the newspaper coverage might list all team members. No secrecy here. In Los Angeles, the clan team played a three-game charity series against a Benai Brith team. And in 1927, in Washington, D.C., the Klan played against the Hebrew All-Stars. Newspaper coverage typically treated the Klan team like all others, with no particular attention to Klan politics. Thus, baseball functioned to normalize the Klan so that it could appear as a benign club, akin to the Elks, or again, a labor union. Wow. I'm KKK I'm playing the Benai Brith at baseball? That's wild. America's pastime. I would never have guessed that was a bigotry. thing that happened in history. That's... Uh... Yeah. Now, while all this was going on, there were Claverns who took to the KKK's more traditional activities, violently oppressing minorities. A number of Claverns exercised vigilante justice. That is an important story, which I've waited until the end to cover. That's because I think it's important to understand what the Second Clan was in context. The First Clan was awful and a clear terrorist organization, was viewed by most Americans as a terrorist organization, at least outside of the South. But the only real ethos of the Second Clan was making money. The racism and bigotry was just there because in 1922 it sold. If the same PR people that had hatched this scheme were around today, they may would have made a fraternal order that was super woke in PC because there's right. more money there now. Like right. they, I'm sure they were racist too, but that it wasn't about that. It was about right, making right. the money. And the Klan, again, it is, it's important to understand, if you're going to understand the 20s, that everyone knew the Klan was racist, but everyone was racist. Right. Yep. Like the woke people were racist. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. 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 Our grandparents were racist. Yeah, every everybody was. Right. Back in it was what is. Yeah. yeah. It was only a grift because of the money making structure. It wasn't right. like yeah. 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 It, it was not considered extreme. And not yeah, not radicalizing anybody or anything like that. Yeah. Now what we're going to talk about, the violent part, was extreme. And that is an important factor, but that was an ancillary thing that happened because of the original KKK's history and because a lot of racists are violent. The violence was not primarily the goal of the Wasn't organization the message of it, it was a pyramid scheme right. yeah so in the early 1920s urban crime rose by 24 percent in the united states clan propaganda heavily emphasized these rising crime rates and build the clan as like their predecessors regulators mm-hmm. much of this crime was driven by prohibition and prohibition was a cause the kkk firmly supported also women's voting rights there's a feminist angle to the clan too Mm. We're not going to get into enough of it here, but there was a women's auxiliary KKK, very popular. Like the the Klan was because one of the two PR people who founded this was a woman, was one of the first organizations in America to realize like, well, women are voting now, so they have political power. Mm -hmm. They also have more money now. So we should go after them. Right. We should yeah, get yeah, that. Yeah. We should get that fucking money. Mm-hmm. Well and done. They did. Yeah. Put very... more women in the KKK. The KKK <laughs> feminist icon. Yeah, the KKK. Yeah. yeah. 
Representation is important. <laughs> it's super important. Not just men in the Klan these days. Yeah. Uh, some people even called the Klan the militant wing of the temperance movement. Generally, Klansmen and individual claverants were willing to use violence against black people, of course, but also any other bugbear of that era's right wing. They carried out a raid that arrested 52 bootleggers in Anaheim, got 125 people arrested in Indianapolis, again, bootleggers. In the Northwest, they spent a lot of time threatening labor organizers. One Oregon Klegel sent out this warning. If you are the mouthpiece of American labor in this locality, warned, and do not endorse the above principles, then you should be a fit subject for a Vigilance Committee. I found another piece of sheet music in the KKK's song <laughs> that oh, puts forward this regulator depiction of the KKK. It's titled, There's a Klansman Watching You. Oh, no. You guys want to sing this for me? I, Cody, that's all you. you got, I'm, yeah, I'm you're right. You, you, you did the other thing. And also, you're the musician. <laughs> There's a class of people patriotic in their work, always on their guard, always watchful. Uh, misspelled and alert <laughs> they all make good citizens they're friends of Uncle Sam they fight for right with all their might they're called the Ku Klux Klan oh. um, that's the verse keep going man you will find them out in the country you will find them in town they're as thick as bees in clover you can't tell when they're around. You may think that you're going to fool them. Have a care what you do. The Ku Klux Klan are always watching. They're sure watching you. There's a second verse that I will not do. Wow, wow. <laughs> Wow, that was a virtuoso performance. Let's. Thank yeah, you. That's I how thought... it goes. Those are, yeah, the, those are the notes. That, that that's the, the melody. Um, that goes. So, where did they sing this again? What was. Like, meetings their church? Like, they, they, like, they had records. They, they had records, Katie. Oh. <laughs> they had a publishing press and a record press. My God. So that's uh, like, uh, you're having a dinner party, and you're like, let's put on the new clan record. Yeah, you guys heard, you guys heard <laughs> there's a clansman watching you? The shit uh, is fire. Uh, yeah. Oregon and Oklahoma were particular centers of clan vigilance committee violence. The second coming of the KKK summarizes, quote, Three Oregon cases known as the Oregon Outrages captured widespread press attention when night riders terrified their victims with such lynching threats. J.F. Hale, a piano salesman, white, was accused of illicit sexual affairs, and the would-be lynchers demanded that he break off the improper relationships. He may have also been targeted because he owed money that a Klansman was having trouble collecting. Sam Johnson, described as part Mexican, was accused of stealing chickens and being an idler. Arthur Burr, an African-American bootblack accused of bootlegging, received the worst treatment. Vigilantes abducted him and took him to the very crest of the Siskiyou Mountains, where they strung him up and let him down three times. Releasing him, they fired revolvers near his feet, demanding that he leave the era permanently, yelling, Can you run? N-word. Though charges were brought against three groups of Klansmen, in each case, juries acquitted the culprits on the grounds that because the victims were morally bad, their vigilante punishment benefited the community. By contrast, Oklahoma, Indiana, Kansas, and southern Illinois, locations that were as much southern as northern, experienced a great deal of actual Klan violence, whippings, tar and featherings, and lynchings. In all four places, some degree of racial segregation was in place, and Klan violence helped to keep it in place. 
In Oklahoma, Klan-provoked violence became so widespread, with a reported one flogging for every night of the year, that the governor placed parts of the state under martial law. Klan efforts got him impeached in 1923. Wow. Oklahoma law officers sometimes handed suspects over to Klan whipping parties or even participated in the beatings. In Kansas, Klansmen abducted an anti-Klan mayor, tied him to a tree, and laid 30 stripes on his bare back. In Bloody Williamson, as one southern Illinois county became known, the local Klan and the Anti-Saloon League merged into the Williamson County Law Enforcement League, which soon became run by the Klan. Attacks on the operators of the wide-open bars produced lethal battles in 1924 and 25, involving gunmen and the deployment of military forces, and ended by forcing the anti-Klan sheriff out of office. These armed skirmishes killed 20 people. So, do not want to be ignoring the violence Right, this here. is ha- still mm. happening, this is but still it's not, happening. wasn't the overarching, like... It wasn't the purpose, the Klan was more about money, but also the violence was occurring within the... Co- society was fine with this. Yes. This is not right. a countercultural act. Again, they were acquitted, generally, when they were brought to trial, because most people were fine with what... Most white people were fine with what they were doing. Right, yeah. they're like vigilante cop figures. Exactly. They're like taking care of business because the government's not going to do it. So, horribly violent, but not horribly violent against the wishes of the majority of their white Protestants. Right. Countrymen. Yeah. And in fact, we're kind of seen as heroes by a lot of people. Right. Which was true only in the South for the original KKK. Right. North but was not cool. Yeah, it's a them. gang now of it's... racist Batman. It's a gang of racist Batman, exactly. Yeah. And America's always loved a vigilante badass mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. the Punisher but racist. Right. Yeah. yeah. In 1925, the KKK even carried out an attack on the home of the young Malcolm X when he and his parents lived in North Omaha. Here's a quote from Malcolm's autobiography. It actually is how his autobiography starts. When my mother was pregnant with me, she told me later, a party of hooded Ku Klux Klan riders galloped up to our home in Omaha, Nebraska one night. Surrounding the house, brandishing their shotguns and rifles, they shouted for my father to come out. My mother went to the front door and opened it. Standing where they could see her pregnant condition, she told them that she was alone with her three small children and that my father was away, preaching in Milwaukee. The Klansmen shouted threats and warnings at her that we had better get out of town because the good Christian white people were not going to stand for my father's spread and trouble among the good Negroes of Omaha with the back-to-Africa preachings of Marcus Garvey. My father, the Reverend Earl Little, was a Baptist minister, a dedicated organizer for Marcus Aurelius Garvey's UNIA, United Negro Improvement Association. With the help of such disciples as my father, Garvey, from his headquarters in New York City's Harlem, was raising the banner of black race purity and exhorting the Negro masses to return to their ancestral African homeland, a cause which had made Garvey the most controversial black man on earth. Still shouting threats, the Klansmen finally spurred their horses and galloped around the house, shattering every window pane with their gun butts. Then they rode off into the night, their torch is flaring as suddenly as they had come. That's terrifying. Yeah, it's horrifying. Now, like all good and bad pyramid schemes, the Klan had to come to an end. It was finally brought down, not by the U.S. government, because probably most of the U.S. government was fine with it, but by the incompetence, greed, and corruption of its leaders. (laughs) It's always always that with these kind of far-right gangs. Philip Fox, editor of the Imperial Nighthawk, a major Klan newspaper, was sentenced to life imprisonment for murdering another Klansman he considered a rival. Hiram Evans called it a personal affair. Governor Ed Jackson of Indiana, a Klansman, was indicted for bribery. Officers of the Klan Bank were also indicted for embezzlement and grand larceny. There were countless scandals and arrests, a fight with the FBI that led to 19 people being charged, members caught drinking and bootlegging and paying for back alley abortions. They picked a fight with J. Edgar Hoover. Not a smart guy to pick a fight with in 1924. Uh, Really bad guy to pick a fight with in that period of time. They did not win that fight. The final nail in the KKK's coffin was the conviction of Indiana Grand Dragon Stevenson, who we Mm. talked about earlier, for kidnapping, raping, and murdering his secretary. What? 
Oh, now, that, only the classiest high class. I mean, I was waiting it to be like white collar, like a tax thing or no, something. No, like, no, yeah, like, like he's straight up paying for like a, a tor- terrible thing he did. Well, and here's here's what it, it's actually even worse than it sounds uh, because uh. he did not technically murdered her. He raped her and assaulted her, and then she killed herself. But the jury convicted him of murder because they believed he'd ruined her. Mm-hmm. Sure. Which is also why she killed herself. So yeah. it's like even worse than right. Just because it's the twenties and it was a garbage time to exist. Yeah, it's it's messed up. But Stevenson went to fucking prison. Uh, Did he die in prison? I think so. Yeah, he was convicted yeah. of second degree murder. All right. um, yeah. By 1927, the KKK had gone from its high of like four million members to less than 350,000 active members nationwide. It never quite went extinct entirely. Men continue wearing Klan robes and being racist up until the modern day. But the giant money-making and political enterprise that it once was fell apart. Are there still dues? I, I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, maybe in individual chapters, but there's no, yeah. you know. Not the structure is there. Yeah. It was, yeah. There's some people that try to be that, but like it's pretty shadows mm-hmm. of themselves. The legacy of the KKK, outside of its existence as an MLM and the vigilante violence it inspired, is unclear. During its height, the KKK was extremely politically active, but there is substantial debate as to whether or not it actually influenced politics on a mass scale. A number of Klan-backed candidates were elected, and the Klan was a massive fundraiser, but that Harvard Studies analysis claimed that the actual political achievements of the group were fairly minimal, just because those people were already going to get elected. They weren't elected because they were Klansmen. Everybody was fucking racist. Right, right. right. They just happened to be in the Klan. However, in the conclusion of the second coming of the KKK, Linda Gordon makes this note. Some scholars and contemporary observers have seen the 1920s Northern Klan as a failure because it was short-lived and because its campaigns against Catholics and Jews did not manage to confine them to second-class citizenship. But transience is common to most social movements. Moreover, the Klan declined in part because it had triumphed in several respects. State eugenics laws providing for forcible sterilization of those of defective stock spread to 30 states, and those labeled defective were typically the poor and people of color. The biggest Klan victory was immigration restriction, and Imperial Wizard Evans repeatedly claimed credit for its passage i mean it is pretty disappointing that their eventual like downfall or decline Mm -hmm. was not because people started to know better or like people stood up like this whole story i'm sitting here thinking like yeah but when does it like oh this person like there's this big altercation and people started just public opinion started to change nope it was they were fine with the racism and the vigilante murder yeah it was the abortion thing that really (laughs) yeah Yeah. Yeah. back alley abortions really turned america against them Oh. Hooray! Hooray! We uh, did it. We got through it. <laughs> all this stuff, uh, know, the wall stuff, the immigration stuff, it's just always so fascinating. But like, why do you think these things align with, like, yeah. maybe it, <laughs> it's even like you, you recognize that other people who aren't white have invented things you like, like sombreros. Mm. Like, I know. <laughs> like, guys. Without Mexicans, how are you going to go to the cool you coast? You're going to go to the cool coast camp. <laughs> I mean, Come on. <laughs> You're going to have a bad time. You're going to have a bad time at the Cool Coast Camp. You wouldn't have gotten anywhere without playing the Benai Brithen baseball. <laughs> Jesus. That <sighs> is fascinating. That was a twist. That was a, yeah. And now I know what MLM means. Mm-hmm. So. Multi-level marketing, yeah. It's uh, really important in the politics of today. Yeah. yeah. I just hadn't heard that yeah. abbreviation. Money lives matter. There is a direct MLM. line between the strategy behind the KKK and the strategy behind Amway, which is the source of the fortune of Betsy DeVos. Mm-hmm. Oh, but, but we can't. We don't have time to talk about her. Like, we don't have time to talk <laughs> about her. Yeah, that segues us, segues us into the next episode. Yeah, we we will be doing another thing 
very soon. Uh, plugs. Plugs, plugs, plugs. Plug plugs. time. Plug time. Uh, check us out on the internet. Twitter. Patreon.com slash some more news. Twitter.com slash some more news. I was getting there. Okay, it seemed like you were just like passing it off. No, no, no. Right, you right. do it. Finish you it. You said on the internet. And that's pretty funny. <laughs> um, our YouTube show also. Are some you more news. Some... <laughs> our podcast, even more news. Yep, that on the Twitter. Your personal Twitter. It's Katie Stoll. Mine's Dr. Katie with Mr. A K. Cody. With the C. Yeah, I, yeah. We'll get good at this one day. Give them money. Some more news. Patreon dollars. That'd we would great. love that. Go to go, go to there. Go to there. Um, you can find me on the internet at I Write Okay <laughs> on Twitter. I have a book called A Brief History of Vice. It's not about the Klan. It's about me putting a friend in the hospital with dangerous drugs. Uh, it's fun. It's a good time. <laughs> everybody, everybody enjoyed it. Twitter and Instagram. You can find this show at at Bastards Pod. Uh, website behindthebastards.com. Doritos. I love you. Forty percent. Goodbye. Yum, 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 yum. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.